Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. God, I'm so awkward. Uh, my name's Jessica Kate Ryan. And I'm Ellen Rose Sorensen. Ooh, fancy. We have three names. Gross. <laughs> and we're here to talk to you about true crime. Because what's more fun than true crime? I what's more fun than horrible, horrible murder? I don't know. Probably lots of stuff. Anyway, so this podcast will be us talking about murders, I guess. Specific, I was about to say specifically. Gross. No, shut it down. <laughs> Ellen's face right now. Um, specifically focusing on our first series in Brisbane because where do we live, Ellen? We live in Brisbane. Ooh, fancy. Personal connections. Ooh, so many. <laughs> anyway, so this podcast neither pretends to be anything too knowledgeable no I'm joking we know our shit okay it's fine it's fine it's just sometimes we'll go on tangents just like right now gross so Ellen before we start how did you get into true crime um I've been obsessed with the television program law and order since I was a small child yes I know everything about the fake New York justice system so much nothing about the truth but all the fake stuff exactly Olivia Benson hero icon legend of our times and then uh, you know, it came to a point where the fake stuff didn't scratch the itch and now I am deep into true crime. Yes. Yes. Jess, how did you get into true crime? Um, well, I'm also on that Law & Order bandwagon. I remember it would be on at midday on TV One when I'd be hanging out at my grandma's and nothing better than some Elliot Stabler and some Olivia Benson just to get you going. If you didn't watch Law & Order, your grandma's house. What Who even you are you? Who are Stop you? listening. <laughs> we don't want you here. No, I'm joking. We want you here. Please listen, like, and subscribe. Thank you. Um, and then I think last year I really got into reading and watching a lot of true crime. I've always been interested in like crime TV shows. I think majority of the time they're produced really well and really interesting. They're and either produced really well and they're really interesting or they're terrible mm. and it's amazing to watch. Correct. Correct. Um, shout out to Mindhunter for being the best. Lol. Yes, that is good. That's correct. Okay, cool. So we are going to be talking about five separate homicides in Brisbane. And the first one that we've decided to start with is probably the deepest and the heaviest. It is the most recent as well. And that is the tragic murder of Alison Baden-Clay. So before we un- talk about the untimely death of Alison, we want to tell you a little bit about her. Because she was a person. 
A very good person. She was a very good, nice person. And I'm going to give you a little bit of a bio. So, Alison June Dickey was born in 1968 in Corinda, Queensland, Australia. Have you been to Corinda? I'm sure I have. I have no Is memories. Is it on the train line? Probably. I don't know. Um, born to Priscilla and Jeff Dickey, her older sister Vanessa, and followed by younger brother Ashley, she was the shining star. Her father was a firefighter who worked on weekends and picked up extra money painting houses. And her mother was the librarian at Allison's school, which I think is the cutest thing in the world. There's nothing cuter than a librarian. Holla. <laughs> Gifted in the art of ballet through determination and grit, she got herself a place in the Australian Youth Ballet Company. She toured all over the world her det- and her determination to do her best started her lengthy battle with anxiety. After years of dedicating herself to her craft, she was let go of the company, unfortunately. A dedicated student at Ipswich Girls Grammar, her ballet days inspired a love of travel. And after finishing school, she went overseas to do a year-long rotary exchange in Denmark. She studied an arts degree at UQ. Do you know those feelings, Ellen? Yes. (laughs) Um, Oh, I'm lost now. Uh, During um, there, she began her studies in Japanese and... She went to Japan and did a year long of teaching English to Japanese students. And then she got her job at Heron Island where she met Ian Drayton, who was a scuba diving instructor. Sounds like a romance novel. Sounds great. The ballerina and the diving instructor. Could be a Mills and Boone. I'm writing it right now. Copyright me. 2018. Um, Ian was immediately captivated by Alison, who always looked like she was ready to dance, which I think is just the sweetest thing in the fucking world. She extended her time on Heron, but came to realize that it was time to move on. And he followed her down to Brisbane. This was when Alison's journey began as a sales agent at Flight Center. They soon bought their, bought their first house. And on her birthday in 1991, Ian proposed. They traveled to Europe. They bought their second home. Like, could you imagine... 2018 at like what, 25, 26, having already bought two houses. I'm too addicted to avocado toast to ever think of buying a house. I'm too addicted to buying clothes from my own work to actually (laughs) ever afford to buy anything. So they bought their second house in 1993. Allison, following in the footsteps of her former Miss Redcliffe mother, yes, Priscilla, yes, became an entrant in the Miss Brisbane division of Miss Australia. Alison yearned to be back on stage. God, doll, tell me about it. Um, And she won. In the newspaper, they called her fluent in compassion. After the pageant, she began to have her doubts about her relationship with Ian. She was climbing the ranks of Flight Centre, eventually becoming the state's human resources manager. In her new role, she found herself based on George Street in the city. And this is when she first came across Jared Baden-Clay. Yes, and Jared Baden-Clay had a very unusual upbringing. He was born to Nigel and Elaine Clay on September 9th, 1970 in Bournemouth, England, and he was raised in Rhodesia, which is now Zimbabwe. Ooh. So his family's entire shtick was that they are the descendants of Robin Baden-Powell, who Mm. wrote the book Scouting for Boys, which would become the inspiration for the Scouts movement. So Jared spent the early years of his life in Rhodesia, where his father worked for the government. At this time, Rhodesia was in the middle of a civil war, and his father worked for the white minority government. 
1980, when Robert Mugabe came to power, the Clays decided to leave that situation and move to Australia. I wonder why. I know. I can't imagine why (laughs) somebody who worked for the white minority government of Rhodesia would want to move to Australia, but he did. And it was upon their move to Australia that the Clays, as they had previously been known, changed their name to Baden Clay to honour their famous Wait, ancestor. Baden? Are you related to the guy that came up with the Scouts? That's exactly. I mean, anybody with that surname, Shit. I just go, whoa, you must be related to the Scout oh guy God. that everybody knows about. So famous. So famous. So the newly minted Baden Clays settled in Toowoomba, which is a country town west of Brisbane. Um, Jared attended Gabin Bar State School and then Toowoomba Grammar School. Uh, most of his mates from Toowoomba Grammar describe him as a pretty normal kid, a reasonable student and a good friend. His parents, however, did not have so good of a rap. They gave off the impression that they were proud and superior and neighbours weren't particularly impressed when they found out that the family had chosen to add Baden to their surname to basically seem like they were better than everybody else because they had an important ancestor. I can understand that sentiment, neighbours of Baden Clays. So after graduating from Toowoomba Grammar, he undertook a Bachelor of Business at the Darling Downs Institute of Advanced Education, which is now USQ. Right. He got a job as an accountant and an accounting firm in Brisbane in 1991 while still studying for his degree. He got that degree in 1992 Decided, like many accountants, that accounting was not for him. Because it sucks. Because it sucks. It's the worst. Uh, left the firm in 1993 and landed a job at Flight Centre in 1994 where he became captivated with the state human resource manager, Alison Dickey. Oh, God. Mm. I just want to be Alison's friend that, you know, sits next to her and just says, don't. Don't do it. do it. Please stay with Ian. He's a scuba instructor. He's a and he's scuba instructor. Hot. I, know. I mean, I don't know what Ian Drayton looks like. He could look like anything, but he sounds hot. He sounds better than Jared Baden Clay, who, spoiler alert, murders Alison horribly. Yes. So, do you want to talk a bit about Alison and Jared's relationship? Well, look, troubled with a capital T, shall we say? Happy at the start, troubled with a capital T yeah. later. So, look. The first red flag for me comes up for their wedding, okay? So this just drives me mental. So they got married on Jared Baden Clay's parents' wedding anniversary. No. Very odd. Just why? Not accidentally, like on purpose. They were like, how nice would that be if you got married on our our anniversary? No thanks. No thanks. So basically after... They got married in 97. They did have some stints working overseas where Jared Baden Clay wanted to get some uh, experience in working in a managerial position. It didn't really work out. And he did go to the scout headquarters to work there. Yes. And it was very brief from yes. what I remember. That's where he wanted to be a manager, but it didn't work out. Yeah. So a bit embarrassing to be related to the to guy the who guy. invented and scouts. still like, uh, But you still can't get a job at the scout no. centre. Embarrassing, Jared. So... A lot of the time people described um, Jared as lacking in success but full of ambition. Lacking in success is the most backhanded compliment you could ever give somebody. sounds like someone's Twitter bio as a joke. Yeah, but like they're trying to be self-deprecating and funny. Like, oh, I'm just lacking in success at the moment but actually it's just sad and you feel sorry for them. No, Jared actually lacking in success. So um, they came back to Brisbane and Alison was immediately accepted back into Flight Centre with open, open arms. She was mm-hmm. very well loved there. Mm-hmm. And Jared started working for 
flight center in their online sales division. But through the unfortunate event of 9-11, like people were just really scared about booking holidays yeah. because, I mean, I, I get it. I, I wouldn't want to be working in the flight industry after no. 9-11. Also, it was like 2001, so the <clears throat> internet was It was not, still on the rise. It was not there yet. Look, I sit here with my iPhone with Instagram and yeah. Twitter and all that shit. But yeah, yes, exactly. 2001. Not, not the not time for internet so flight sales. So Jared was fired and instead of taking it like a man, he sued them for breach of contract <laughs> and didn't win. After trying to helm this project where I believe they put $1 million into the online flight sales and the director of flight centre said they had nothing but a few chairs after putting in $1 million, he sued them for breach of contract. No, it's like, can't it, Jared, I think you just fucked up, don't I think you just didn't do a good job. I think you were lacking in success. But full of ambition. <laughs> but full of ambition. Um, 2001 also saw the birth of their first child. Um, also important to note that while they were on, while Jared and Alison were on holiday following their wedding, they – Took, of course, you know, anti-malarial. Yeah, they went on an extended medication. honeymoon. So they did some working in Europe, and then they took a <clears throat> little voyage to South America. So they had to take um, anti-malarial tablets called Larium the entire time. Yeah. So they didn't get malaria. Understandable. Ex- yeah. But unfortunately, Larium has the terrible side effect of hallucinations, anxiety, and depression. Yeah. All of which Allison suffered from yeah. during and I mean, time. Yeah, and I mean, like I'm reading stories about Larium and people that went through it. It sounded like hell. For something that you were trying to prevent and then having to go through basically being psychotic. It sounds like, you know how people used to give people heroin for coughs? Yeah. That's what Larium kind That's of seems Larium like to me. That's what Larium did. You won't get malaria, but you will get, get depression yeah. and hallucinations and go crazy. <laughs> malaria is not fun. I assume, but I don't think <laughs> I don't think losing your marbles is <laughs> either. Either, but you know, you got to pick and choose them. So, um, after the birth of their first child, she did suffer a bout of postnatal depression, and that's when it came up about the anti-malarial medication that she'd taken, Larium, which triggered her depression because she did suffer from anxiety. But she was very content in being a mum, uh, Jared after this had happened, got involved in real estate. And what better way to get involved in real estate than get your mum and dad to come with you? So then they started working for, was it Colonial? I can't Um, remember the name. Rain and Horn? Rain and Horn, that's right. Um, Rain and Horn Kenmore. (coughs) Rain and Horn Kenmore. Shout out. Follow them on Facebook. Um, So This was in 2004. I have no idea. (laughs) So... um, Jared and his parents started working at Rain and Horn in Kenmore. And, yeah, no, Jared was very confident and cocky and a lot of people didn't really like them. And it only took about eight months for Jared to say to Rain and Horn, yeah, sorry, I'm opening up Century 21 next to you. So see you, suckers. Bye. Thank you for hiring me and my parents, training us in real estate and doing everything for us. We're just going to pop over next door and steal all of your customers. Thank you. Good night. Goodbye. Yeah. Um, so, I believe in the retail industry, you call that a dick move. <laughs> 
as professional retail employees. Oh, retail, yeah. real estate, real estate. <laughs> <laughs> Everything's the same. It's retail, it's but selling. for houses. It's, yeah, exactly. Um, Zane is laughing at us. Um, so then in 2006, that's when they moved to Brookfield. So in it was funny because like when I heard that a mum was missing in Brookfield, I assumed that they were wealthy. Yes, because when, Brookfield is where the poshies live. Yeah, it's a very, very – if you don't know Brisbane, Brookfield is kind of rural Brisbane but like rich rural. Like it's – Everyone there owns multiple pairs of R.M. Williams boots. So many. Even the glittery kind. The gold kind that they only make 200 pairs of, they're all bought by people who live in Brookfield. Pretty much. And they have like big backyards and dogs and, and horses. Trees. And trees and the Brookfield show. Apparently it's a good time. Have you been? I have not been to the Brookfield show. Jason it was recently. was talking about it. He was like, we should go to the Brookfield show. Uh, we should go to the Brookfield show and be like, man, this is where it all happened. Man, I don't want to go there. I don't want to go there either. <laughs> um, so <laughs> Zane is laughing at us again. We must be doing well. Um so between 2006 and 2012, Alison's anxiety and depression was getting better because she didn't know what her fucking husband was up to. So. Also, she was on antidepressants and seeing a counsellor. And thank God. If you feel depressed and if you don't feel like you can cope, please go and see a professional. It doesn't. You don't necessarily have to be medicated. If you need to go and talk to somebody, please go and talk to somebody. It really helps sometimes. I have you guys to say. are helping. Yeah, exactly. This isn't just us being self-indulgent, talking about our interests. We're Definitely also helping the community. Not. But friends and family started to like notice that Alison was withdrawing from talking about her relationship with Jared. Um, and at counselling sessions, Jared admitted that he was going to leave Alison. Which, Jared also admitted that he didn't believe in depression, which for somebody so who is where depressed, Jared's at. Okay. Yes. So Jared doesn't believe in depression. He Just, ain't a good guy. What was the main problem in Allison and Jared's relationship? I'm going to call their main problem in their relationship a lady called Tony McHugh. Poor Tony. She didn't Poor know. Poor Tony. I mean, I feel for her. And I do I too. I don't, but then also she didn't know. No, she, I, I do not think that Tony McHugh had any idea about the murder, which we're going to get to in a minute, by the way. There's just a lot of black backstory. Black story, sorry, backstory. Um, so Tony McHugh, what you need to know about her is that she was also married to a guy named Robert. And how she came across Jared Bain and Clay was that her and her husband, Robert, were selling their pull and veil block in 2005. And they contacted Century 21 Westside, you know, helmed by Jared Bain and Clay and his parents. Um, and can I say, Elaine Baden Clay did not like Tony McHugh. She loathed her. She didn't like it. She actually warned another guy from Century 21 to like not in like to just don't just back off. Just back off from Tony McHugh. She's bad news. I mean, a bit harsh for Tony McHugh. She didn't I mean Look, I don't Jared's know. the bad Doll, guy. You do you, you know? It's you fine. do you. Maybe don't have an affair. No. Don't cheat on We're your not husband that. with another married no. person. I really wouldn't do that. Anyway. So obviously they sold the Pull and Bell home and they were happy with what had happened. And Tony saw an application on the Century 21 website for a job at Century 21 West Side and Jared hired her. And Tony admits to having an immediate crush on Jared because 
He's related to the guy that came up with the scouts. <laughs> she she read his name and was like, wait, Jared Badenclay. Is he related to the scout guy? And then she just could not. She you can't resist. stop once you know that, you know. Oh, if I met somebody that had anything to do with the invention of Nutella or um, maybe. So, I mean, I am in a relationship, but. Uh, just for those who need to Nobody's know. in a relationship if the inventor of Nutella um, is in the room. No, God, no. Or um, maybe someone that had a really good biscuit recipe. I don't know. I'd be like fluttery. <laughs> Gross, right? All it takes is a really good biscuit recipe. You don't even need to make the biscuit. I don't know. It can just be written down on a piece of paper. There'll be someone listening to this going like, yes. Anyway, so... Um, quote from Tony McHugh, when I first started working with Jared, there was definitely chemistry for me. I admired him and I was attracted to him. I don't know how he felt. So, but first year they worked side by side, no funny business, nothing straying beyond the professional. And then the magical time in Brisbane in 2008, known as the river fire. River fire! Sparks are flying over the Brisbane River and also between Jared and Tony. Oh my God. Oh my God. So, something you should know about Jared. He had a blog. I haven't found it yet. I can't find it either. Web Sleuths, if you know where it is, fucking tell us. You can email us at murderinthelandedoz at gmail.com and feel free to send us excerpts of those um those blogs if you can find them. Our producer's like nodding his head at us vlogging the email. Anyway. So 2008, Jeremy Baden-Clay wrote a blog called The Big Bang. Seemingly about, okay, I just have to describe what keeps happening when Ellen <laughs> is too shocked. She backs away from the microphone and like leans over the chair, which is brilliant. Anyway, so he wrote this thing called The Big Bang. <laughs> and the day before that was written, his affair began with Tony McHugh. They were working back late in the office. Come on, you can picture it. And he uh, and don't get sexy about this. Stop <laughs> it. And um, they were working back late, and she said he asked me to kiss. He asked to no. He asked me to kiss him, so I did. That's then, not very romantic, actually. I know. Um, so they'd meet up in Pullenvale. Pullenvale. Salsa in Pullenvale. Life of people from Pullenvale. Anyway, so they would meet up at a property, and they just find places to have sex because you know and in the office which I think is like too much far too much and um so because of this relationship with Jared she was uh, Tony was feeling the strain on her own marriage so she left her husband and Jared, which good move good I on have Tony to say McHugh. good on you Tony McHugh because you did the right thing mm-hmm. you didn't make your husband go through fucking isn't torture. it amazing that an adulterer and a murderer doesn't have morals yeah fuck unbelievable look um, so I should preface this by saying that Jared Baden Clay did tell Tony McHugh that he was going to leave Allison and that they were going to get married one day and they would share these hopes and dreams through emails, saucy emails. And he was adamant that his marriage to Allison was over. And a quote from another quote from Tony, Jared told me that he did not love Allison and they had not slept together for years. I mean, they had like a pretty young daughter. Yeah, he said that in the trailer as well. He was like, oh, we hadn't been intimate for ages. But it's then like, their daughter was like I mean, I born don't know. a couple of months before. So they had to at least have been intimate once. That's how that whole thing works. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry for kids. It's not the stalk. 
you have to be intimate. Well, is there kids? Kids, stop if you listening. listen to this. Stop listening. Stop listening to the podcast. Give the phone back to mum and dad <laughs> oh, and apologise. I'd be mortified. Sorry. Um, okay. So um, they would also have some rendezvous at the Baden Clay House when Alison was on the way. So in 2008, in November 2008, Tony had left her husband. So the affair had only started in August and then she, by November, was separated from her husband. Um, and the thing was their affair was not the best kept secret. Everybody in the office ended up finding out about it within a very short time. And Alison at this point was going to see her therapist and was being medicated and was acknowledging that Jared was pulling away, but she didn't know why. So, uh, John Bradley, who was part of the Century 21 team, was having a party, you know, the Century 21 team are like getting fresh and having a fucking good time, you know. And uh, Phil, who was one of the partners in Century 21, noticed that um, Tony at the party didn't want to be anywhere near Allison. So he like made it, he did an experiment where he moved so that Tony would have to be right next to Allison. And Tony was just like, nah, fuck this, flipped the table, walked. And then she didn't actually flip the table. No, but she did leave. Um, and Jared was also ignoring Allison during that party. And after Tony had left, he fucked off for a little bit. Um, anyway, so there you go. Um, he basically, Jared Baden Clay was very proud of this affair, which is fucking bizarre to me. Um, and he just literally told everybody. And when they were in a conf, where they were at a conference in Sydney in May 2010, and Jared kind of announced to the Century 21 team, oh, yeah, Tony McHugh's flying in because, you know, that's not weird. Even though I've nothing sus. Nothing sus about it. It's fine. Um, he basically had told the team that the affair had ended because he, you know, he obviously realised that it didn't look good but took advantage of the time away from his family to see McHugh. He'd made big promises to Tony to leave Alison and to marry her and they'd live together and with her kids and his kids and one big happy family like the Brady Bunch. So um, when they returned to Brisbane, Jared said, I'm in love with Tony. So as I said, people in the office were kind of catching up and Jared was not getting good at covering up what he was doing. He was spotted. He was lacking success yeah, in covering and up And a lot of ambition. Um he was found in St. Lucia by one of the team and they were really confused as to why he was there. And he made up this excuse about buying petrol and people were like, no, you're a cheapskate. You buy from the Coles Express to get that four cents a litre off, which is a good deal, by the way. Especially at the moment, so fucking expensive. You don't drive. No, but I <laughs> live and I live and not work. Don't act like, don't <laughs> don't try to pretend you know more about the situation <laughs> than you do. Fuck you. I don't know anything about petrol prices um, and I'm proud of it. So, yeah, um, a female employee actually ended up leaving Century 21 because he was giving preferential t- treatment to Tony and just wasn't being cool about it. And she, quote, was like, well, of course you're going to support your girlfriend on this. You treat her like a princess in that voice. Exactly. So August 2010 was when Jared Baden Clay said to Alison that he didn't love her anymore. On their wedding anniversary, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. Isn't that the nicest? What Isn't a great stand-up guy. What a great stand-up guy. Um, yeah. And this was when also that Jared was decided that he not only wanted to cheat on his wife, but he did want to cheat on his mistress. So set up a online profile with his alias called Bruce Overland, which if you thought that Jared Baden Clay was the worst fucking name in the world, Bruce Overland takes the fucking cake. 
Okay? It does. It's the worst. Bruce Overland is like some like complete average guy, like Jeremy Braden Clay, mm. making up a name that like Tom Cruise would play in an action movie. Like Bruce, Bruce Overland Hedlund. is a part of the CIA and he fights <laughs> terrorists. Jared Baden Clay is a descendant of the scout guy <laughs> <laughs> who lacks success in everything that he does. Okay. I've said Century 21 too many times in this part of the podcast, but I want you to know that they weren't doing too well. Jared was a part of the finances. And can I give you some piece of advice for people that are running businesses? Don't get the guy named Jared to run your finances because he's the fucking worst, all right? So he was, you know, basically putting up a good face that everything was going fine and they moved offices into a more expensive part of the building and the partners were, you know, thinking that it was all fine. And then the guy that was doing the renovations was like, you guys haven't paid me yet. So there was no money. And they were like, Jared... You're fucking everything up because your personal life is in the shitter. Can you pull yourself together, have three weeks off, sort your life out and then come back to work and you're not in charge of the finances anymore. You're going to go sell some houses. Can we also just say that Jared Baden-Clay managed to have no money in his real estate business during the real estate boom in Brisbane? There you go. Because his name was Jared. No, I'm joking. Okay. So also Brisbane had, if you don't live in Brisbane, you probably aren't aware of this, but it kind of was a big deal. 2011, beginning of the year, there was a big fuck off flood. It fucked everything and it fucked Jared Bedenclay's real estate business. Yes. Nobody's buying houses on the west side of Brisbane, which is very close to the Brisbane River. Because everything was under. Do you know, there's like this massive mansion in Tawong when you'd go it's like just as you go, you've gone up Corro Drive and you're about to get to Tawong. There's this big mansion thing. And I'm pretty sure it's abandoned since the floods. There's so much shit on the balcony and in the windows. It's like there's no one living there. No one with money lives there. Anyway, so we're up to 2011. I'm so sorry, Zane. This is taking forever. Too much research. Okay. So 2011, we're at the Brookfield Trivia Night. Do you feel like you're there? There's cheesels. There's glittery tablecloths. I don't know. There are $14 <laughs> bottles of red wine up for a prize if you win. Woo! Probably also a framed photograph signed by some sporting guy. Yeah, maybe. That was always on offer at our school trivia night. <laughs> it was, wasn't it? Some like middle Because there was a guy rung. that, wasn't there a rugby guy or something involved with our- We don't know rugby Ellen guys. and I went to high school by the, uh, went to the same high we school by the way. We went to high school. <laughs> we went to high school in general. No, we went to the same high school. That's how we know each other. That's how, we've known each other for 12 fucking years. Can you fucking believe Too it? Too long. Too long. Anyway, we're at Brookfield Trivia Night. Within an earshot of parents, people are fucking talking about Jared's affair. It's common news. Not only is it common news at Century 21, it is common news for every single person who is a parent at Brookfield State School where Allison and Jared's kids went. Everybody knows basically except Allison. Which is fucking horrible. So one, so the next day after the Brookfield trivia night, we're talking tuck shop, right? You know, meat pie. Oh no, 2012, were they, 2011, when they have meat pies? All those Salad rolls. Oh God, apples. something shit. Even though I am partial to a cheese and tomato sandwich. Um, one of... Uh, Alison's friend Wendy overheard some people talking about in the talk shop about the affair and she told Alison. So good on you, Wendy. Round of applause for Wendy. So the next day after she'd found out, after Wendy had found out, she rang Alison and Alison confronted Jared in the parking lot of Indro. You know, the Indro Maccas. 
across the road from Ben's house. That's where they had the altercation. It was not an altercation. It was a conversation. Ben, across the road from your house. That's where Jared Ben and <laughs> I think it's interesting. Anyway. So Can I just interject quickly? We've talked a lot about Jared and Jared's affair because that's what happens in the story. But I think it's important to note that Alison had asked Jared previously if he'd had an affair. Yeah, and he flat out denied he it. He said I'm no. so sorry. He looked yeah. her dead in the eyes and said, no, I'm not having an affair while having several affairs. Alison also kind of took the uh, Jared distancing himself very personally and she yeah. assumed it was her fault and, and that of, she wasn't doing something to fulfill his needs. Because she was a good person because she was a thought of somebody else and, yeah. other than herself. So obviously Alison was really unhappy with the fact that he'd been having an affair. You don't say. You don't say. So she told her, she told him to end it and that Miku was not to come back into the business. So an email was sent around Century 21 and Tony wasn't returning. And Smart Allison didn't believe that Jared, the, the affair was over. Because three months later, Jared got back involved with Tony. And this would continue up until the night before Allison was reported missing. So that's enough of that. That's enough of that messy business. So, so basically gonna- what you need to know up until just before Allison goes missing is that Things are not well in the no. Baden Clay household. Jared's but, having an affair. They have no money. They are broke as all hell. But Alison put up a good face for her kids. Alison was a great mum. If you take away anything from this, it's don't trust men named Jared. And also, Alison Baden Clay was an amazing person and a great mum. And I feel like her friends and her family would attest to that that she was to the end for her children. Mm-hmm. 100%. And I don't want to talk too much about her daughters without getting really teary because I know that fucking would be the worst mm-hmm. um so now I guess we're going to talk about what happened to Allison so do you want to take that for me Ellen while I, I would quietly sob to take that from you while you sob so Thursday April 19th 2012 is the day that everything happens Jared and Tony McHugh are back together at this point um but they're trying to kind of keep it more on the down low being a bit more discreet. Being a they little tiny mistakes. bit more discreet. Alison had a busy day. She was doing all the usual things that a supermom does, getting your kids ready for school, talking to the talk shop people, organizing things for the Mother's Day store that was coming up around the corner. She went to work at Century 21. She started working at Century 21 after Tony McHugh left to keep an eye on Jared and also keep an eye on the finances. Um, and she went to a hair appointment to get her hair dyed. Because she had a very important day on Friday the 20th. She was attending a real estate conference. The whole bunch of real estate agencies from the Brisbane area. Tony McHugh would also be attending this conference. A fact that Jared told Tony at the last minute. So Jared calls Tony up and basically says, you know that conference you're attending? My wife is also going to be attending it. Goodbye. Um, Tony McHugh, in her own words, lost it. At Jared and said, how could you do this to me and how can you do this to Alison? Um, basically, you need to tell Alison that I'm going to be there yeah. or you need to man up and do something about this horrible situation that you've created. Unsurprisingly, Jared didn't do that. So what we basically know of Alison's last hours were that she went to the hairdressers, she got her hair done. And they got it right, by the they way. They got it right. She'd gone two previous times and they'd messed it up. What are you doing? Just dye the lady's hair the way she likes it. Jesus. But the third time, they got it right. 
She's doing good. She's looking pretty. She's ready for the conference tomorrow. She goes home, puts the kids to bed. Jared and Allison had been undergoing some relationship counseling and the relationship counselor had advised them to participate in these 15-minute long vent sessions. 15 minutes only so it wouldn't drag on and they were to get anything off their chest. Well, it just Allison. It was just it was Allison. Allison's Big time hard. to talk and ask questions about as the much as she with wanted and, and whatever she wanted. Yeah, and Jared just had to answer the questions or listen and not interject. So they had sat on the couch and Allison had asked her her questions. Jared said that he went to bed and left her watching the footy show. Unrealistic. Nobody yeah, watches, no the watches the That's footy show. That's your first mistake, Jared Baden Clay. So allegedly she's there watching the footy show. Jared goes to bed at around 10.30 p.m. He wakes up at 6 o'clock in the morning the next day, Friday, April 20th, 2012. He starts the morning routine but is a little bit unsure of what's going on because Allison is not home. So Allison usually every like few days would go for a walk around the neighbourhood around that time. Smart two kilometres, no worries. Smart two kilometres. Got to keep it, you know, got to keep your heart racing. Yeah. Got to keep active. You know, you go to the gym. Yeah, I go to the gym. <laughs> you do. I mean, I pay for the gym membership. <laughs> um, but it's around, it's getting, it's approaching 7 a.m. Basically, she wanted to be gone by 7. She wanted to be gone by 7. Allison hasn't come back from her walk. Jared is freaking out. Not freaking, freaking out. out. He Not freaking out because none of this happened. This is how Jared This is how Jared strains it. But... So one of the daughters, it was the middle daughter that woke him up. Well, not woke him up, but she'd woken up and sell, like saw Jared with foam all over his face. And then when the shaving foam was off and he'd finished doing his shave, he'd said to his daughter that he had cut himself shaving and asked her to put some Band-Aids. And these cuts will be very important in very soon. We're going to talk about these cuts until you are sick of the word cuts and, and On our Instagram page, you will find a photo of these so-called shaving cuts. Spoiler alert, they're not shaving cuts. They're not shaving cuts. So uh, Jared calls his parents around 6.40, 6am saying that Allison is missing. Um, he talks to his sister at 7.11 saying, look, am I freaking out too much or should I call the police? And she was like, no. She was like, call, call the police. So Jared called the police. And can I say, that phone call is fucking weird. If you want to listen to the phone call, I think it's on YouTube. You can listen to it on YouTube, yes. It's definitely. a very unusual phone call. We'll try and put a snippet up on the Instagram page or something for you to listen to. But all you should know is that it's really cool. It doesn't sound like the type of guy that's really fucking worried about his wife not being home. He's a little bit more worried about seeming too eager to like be calling the police, you know yeah. what I mean? And the lady on the phone handled it really well and, you know, basically said we're going to send some people out to talk to you. Yes. So... I'm going to give these guys a shout out. So this is Kieran Ash and Leah Drummond who were the constables on the scene first. And they got in the house and they started talking to Jared and they immediately picked up that something was wrong. They noticed the cuts first off Mm -hmm. and it was Kieran that went and called um, their superiors. So that is uh, Senior Sergeant Narelle Curtis and Sergeant Andrew Jackson. And when they arrived on the scene, they immediately picked up on what Kieran and Leah were really worried about. Basically, the scratches obviously weren't shaving cuts. They were like two inches long, ragged, uneven scratches, perfectly parallel on the side of his cheek. So, finger scratches? Almost like somebody scratched him with their fingernails. Shut up. And not like he cut himself shaving. When Narelle Curtis and uh, Senior Sergeant Narelle Curtis, I feel like I should use their titles, and Sergeant Andrew Jackson 
arrived on scene, Jared immediately brings up the cuts. He's like, I know this looks shady, but I cut myself shaving. Before they had even said hello, he gestured to the scratches on his face and said, cut myself told me this looks shady as shit, so I'm going to tell you about it. I don't think he said shady as shit, but but he brought it up. So they were about three centimetres apart and two centimetres long. Um, They looked fresh. They looked really, really fresh and they were weeping a little bit, which, weeping. Very gross. Um, Not the grossest thing we'll talk about, but pretty gross. Sergeant Andrew Jackson, in the interview that he made with 60 Minutes, said if if any guy who's had to shave for 20 years knows what a fucking shaving cut looks like and they did not look like shaving cuts. Um, Jared mentioned that if Alison was out – if she had gone out exercising, she would have been wearing um, grey jogging clothes with a black top and she would have had runners on. I believe it was um, Andrew Jackson that commented that he, Jared, had an unusual knowledge of yeah. his wife's wardrobe. I mean, look. Yeah. I don't Almost know. as if he dressed her in those jogging clothes when he disposed of her right? body. Anyway, we're getting ahead also of ourselves. Also, the weird thing I have to say about Jared's immediate, um, his initial um, meeting with the police was that he was – Shaved, showered, in a full suit, in brackets I've got on my page, including cufflinks, and he didn't seem worried. He was relaxed. He was calm. The bed was made. The house smelt like it had just been cleaned. There was nothing. Oh, God. Could you imagine police showing up to a house that smells clean? If it wasn't for the two scratches on his face, I feel like the clean house would be the... Oh, Another Jesus. major red flag. The bed was made. I yeah, that's my next point. It says red flag. Red flag. Um, and then Nigel, fucking Nigel, putting the vacuum cleaner in the car. Are you fucked? Jared's dad was seen taking the family vacuum cleaner into his car and then like left with it. And the sergeants were like, "No, son, sorry." Can't do that. I don't think it was a crime scene yet, so I don't think. Did they stop him from taking the vacuum? They cleaner? stopped him from. They stopped him from well, taking the vacuum cleaner. Look. So, um, after he saw that happening, and then that's when Jared started. That's when Jared mentioned that he'd had an affair, mm. but he said that it had ended. Mm-hmm. But he thought they should know. Yep. Lol. Um, Sergeant Jackson was like, "Fuck this, get in CIB." Mm-hmm. So they call in the detectives, and in. He's like he had the feeling that she wasn't coming back, so that is when the house was named a crime was called a crime scene. Named a crime, called a crime scene. You're a crime scene, um, and all cars, including Jaden uh, Jared Baden Clay's uh, dad's car, was seized. Seized, and this is when Jared started getting a bit prickly. He became difficult and closed to police. He stopped answering their questions. Um, within an hour. Um, the sergeant called in every available officer and SES on foot and horses to go and find Allison. So this became one of the largest police searches in Brisbane history. In Brisbane history. And this is when she'd be missing for two and a half hours or something at this point. Those police officers knew what the hell was going on. They and were not waiting. They knew. Yeah. If anybody thinks that this could have been prevented, that she was alive at any point, she wasn't. She was not. They had every single available person looking for her because Mm -hmm. they were worried. Um, Then locals started joining in on the search because she was really well liked. Jared wasn't, but Alison was. She was really well respected. Can I say that my favorite description of Jared from Robert Murray's, David Murray's fantastic book. Fantastic 
book. So good that I forgot the name of the guy that wrote it, but it's actually amazing. If you're Even if you're only a little bit interested in true crime or not interested at all and somebody that you love is forcing you to listen to this, it is an amazing book. It is. It's called The Murder of Alison Baden-Clay. I would love to organise an interview with Ben though because he I would love like to organise a candlelit dinner. <laughs> we'll cook. Anyway, <laughs> we'll make a really good biscuit recipe. <laughs> Okay. Um, yes, fantastic. Yeah, my favorite description was uh, somebody that knew Jared said that Jared wore his yellow Century 21 blazer Ugh. to everything. That's like a pilot wearing a pilot's uniform everywhere. To every- he was so proud of being a real estate agent for Century 21 Westside <laughs> that he wore to school events, to church, to any function, he would wear his Century 21 blazer. If that doesn't tell you, if the murder doesn't tell you everything you need to know about Jared Baden Clay, wearing his yellow Century 21 blazer everywhere he went would. I'm so sorry, Zane. We're talking so much, but there's so much to talk about. Anyway, um, so after the locals had joined in the search, Brookfield Oval Clubhouse became the hub of the search for Allison. Um, Jared didn't participate in the search. He took his kids and he fucked off to his parents' place. Mm-hmm. Um, and he told, and this is what fucks me, um, Jared told Allison's parents not to worry about the shaving cuts. He was forced to tell them about the marriage counsellor and that Allison had been on medication and that he'd had an affair, in quotes, a long, long time ago. No one in Allison's life thought that she would leave her children. She wasn't that type of gal. If she was going to have left Jared, she would have taken the girls. There is no way she would have left them. So we're talking about a gathering of police of over 80 people. Police were treating this as serious from day one. We've got uh, Cameron McLeod who was searching the house and scouring the neighbourhood. And from interviewing the neighbours, there was a scream heard, a short and sharp one. Quite a few of the neighbours said that they heard screams. Times were a bit all over the shop. From 8 p.m. to about midnight, people said that they heard screams, but also like who knows what time it is at no. any given point in time. No. If you like no anything that happened, if you asked me what time it was, I would say 4 a.m. because that's the only time I'm awake. Um, but yes, people did hear screams. People heard strange noises. Mm-hmm. Somebody heard a what sounded like a car boot or a car door closing and then tires screeching off. Yeah. There was a lot of yeah. Lot going Whether on that's conjecture, that we don't know, but um, – so during this time, Jared was m- said to be focusing on his children, but there were whispers in the group that were looking for Allison that Jared wasn't joining in, which was weird. Um, Pretty unusual for the husband of a missing woman to not participate in any way for the search for her. And uh, Ellen and I were talking about this earlier. Um, of course, Jill Ma comes to mind because it was so recent. And like Jill's husband was – a suspect first up because in a lot of homicides involving spouses, the spouse is the first person to be questioned and, you know, thought of to be the murderer. But, you know, he didn't care. He was just wanting to look for his wife and this was not the case with Jared. Um, So Mark Ainsworth, who was the head of the Allison um, investigation, put together a team to try and locate not only Allison but also her phone because, you know, if someone's got a phone, generally they'll be with it. Um, and after the affair with Tony McHugh or the seemingly end of their, his affair with Tony McHugh, um, Jared had put the Find My Friends app on his phone. Um, so detectives got onto the app 
and were, you know, searching the area and they found within like a two kilometer radius the phone. But obviously phones run out of battery and it died and they weren't able to recover it. Um, so Jared keeps on bringing up these shaving cuts and surprisingly after the murder he grows this like massive beard. Almost as if he wants to hide the Lol. shaving cuts. Weird. And he also had like a weird like cut on his palm and he'd said he was at a mate's house changing a light bulb. Lol. I had a penny for every time somebody <laughs> told me I that had story. I a penny for every time I changed a light bulb and cut my hand. So at this point, this is when Jared um, called Tony McHugh and said that um, shit was going down, that Allison was missing and that, you know, basically for her to be keep quiet. I wonder why. Um, uh, where am I? Where am I? Where am I? I had lots of information. Okay. So um, two days after Allison had been reported missing, Ewan Taylor, who was one of the – lead investigators on the Allison case got a call from the crime scene investigators that a blood smear contact stain had been found in their Prado called Snowy, the white car. Um, the Captiva. The Captiva, not the Prado, sorry. Um, so this contact smear, you know, it, it's like someone grazed the something side of the door. With blood, something with blood. Something that didn't something. have blood and left a mark. Yeah. So it was visible to the naked eye. It had been covered up by Jer- oh somebody, sorry, by somebody folding down the seats and covering it with stuff in the boot. So it took the guy to remove the shit out of the boot, lift the seat backs up, the seat, yeah, back up, and then they found the contact stain. Um, and a single strand of blonde hair was attached with the blood. So um, at this point, also police figured out that Jared had these scratches on his chest. Do you want to tell me about them scratches? There's scratches on his chest. Jared said that he was bitten by a caterpillar. Who gets bitten by a caterpillar? Do they have teeth? Do they have teeth? I don't know. But he had these scratches all over his upper chest area. Because damn caterpillars, like, bites get once itchy. Once they get in, once they get in, they go all across the entire chest just to make sure they got the whole hungry, area. Damn hungry caterpillars. Yeah, exactly. Um, David Murray described the chest scratches in the book as if if you'd ever played rugby before which I sure haven't but if somebody grabs your jersey yeah. and pulls it and also pulls some of your chest hair That's those are the kind of injuries like. that we're looking at here so he had these mysterious scratches on his chest and they had been photographed by police but they needed to get a closer examination of them so old mate Jared was on his way to um put uh, the Indra police station and he gets himself in a car accident he bashes and I literally, I thought from the photos of the, um, like I think Korea Mail covered the car crash. I thought it was at South Bank. Didn't realise it's actually the side of Indro. Where it was that Indro, yeah. yeah. It, where the bus station is. Yeah. It was the pylon there and he crashed into it. And it's funny because I was talking to Jason about this and he remembers the mark that was on the pylon. No way. Jason knows Indra really. Um, So... Jared crashes his car, not his car, his friend's car. What an asshole. He crashed his friend's car. He crashed his friend's car going, what was it, 60 miles an hour? Lol, not particularly Jared. fast. Anyway, uh, on a straight stretch of road when there were no other cars Trying around. to avoid the buses. Yeah, right. So he crashes his car and then is seen outside of the car after the crash, pulling himself along the bitumen, pulling himself across the bitumen. What? What? Be 
because he was trying, oh God, conjecture, but trying to make the marks on his chest indistinguishable. Yeah, trying to trying to disguise what was, you know. Probably marks of his wife trying yeah, to defend exactly. herself against this fucking monster. So they detectives were like, well, fuck, we can't re-examine the marks now because we won't know what's happened yeah. before But they did after. have photographs of but it. But they did so. have photographs, but they just weren't um, really high resolution. This was also the time when Alison's parents, Priscilla and Jeffrey, went on TV to make the appeal for their daughter. Shut up, I'm getting really teary. Um, if you have watched that appeal, I mean – I don't I don't I do not want to put myself in the position of being a parent that's of lost their child of any age. It's completely heartbreaking to see Priscilla and Jeff talk about their daughter. It's being especially with heartbreaking because they had to do it because Jared wouldn't Jared do it. Jared wouldn't do it. Jared was asked multiple times to make a public appeal for information and he said no every single time. I wonder why. I can't imagine. And Priscilla and Jeffrey, they were living at the Gold Coast at this time and they were retired and they moved back up to Brisbane and stayed with friends and were permanently stationed at Brookfield Oval in case anyone came forward with any information because they wanted to be the first to know. This was also when um, friends and family of Alison came forward to police mentioning that they had witnessed emotional abuse and others felt that Jared was more than capable of, you know, being physically abusive towards Mm. Alison. So... Something else to know about Brookfield and the surrounding areas is that it's fucking vast. There is so, like, there is, you know, so much bushland that nobody knew where Allison could be. So mm. they increased the size of the search area and people in the community were asked to search their properties um, because the bushland was so dense. They also started looking in industrial bins and mine, shaf- mine shafts and dams within the two-kilometre radius of um, Allison's home. And at this point, Jared's still at his parents' house, dodging the media. No one could understand why. And then finally, a Channel 9 reporter actually got an interview with Jared Baden Clay and his sister, who came out and spoke to her. And this was five days after Alison was reported missing. And this was his only public appeal. And basically he said he was putting his trust into the police. He was just trying to look after his kids. That he told the police everything that he knew, which was obviously not true. Fuck that. Um, yeah, it was pretty it was pretty pathetic. Um, I think it was probably for, in terms of the general public, it was probably the first time that people started to be like, this guy doesn't seem to really yeah. and care I mean, even that his the wife cameraman pointed out that he wasn't genuine. Yeah. He was, you know, weird body language. It just wasn't in line with somebody that was really desperate for looking for his wife. Um, so eight days after Alison was reported missing, there was a prayer vigil that was held, that, that was held. And also a mannequin was set up wearing similar clothes to Alison. Volunteers from everywhere came to help, friends from school, people that worked in the real estate business and members of Flight Centre to help look for her. She had, in quote, touched their lives. And also this eighth night there there was heaps of rain. That time, yeah, it was really rainy so that just made searching for Alison really, really hard. Um, Injo Police Station were putting together um, details of Alison and Jared's relationship. They knew that that there was a mistress involved. Um, and they knew that Jared had called Allison. Um, that he they knew that Jared had called Tony McHugh the morning that Allison had disappeared. He'd called her a couple of. Uh, he'd also called Tony McHugh a couple of days after Allison had disappeared, and he'd called on a payphone because obviously he didn't want anybody to realize that he'd been calling her. He and called he, Tony uh, while she was in an interview yeah. with the police. 
like, and he was like, are you going to tell the police about us? And she's like, yeah. Yeah, he asked, do the police know that we're still together? And she said, yes. Yes, because I'm not fucking lying Mm -hmm. to the police. Smart move, Tony. Tony, look. So, um... Tony, yeah, Tony McHugh was corroborating with police. They were telling she, they, she was telling them anything that they wanted to know and that they'd been seeing each other for four months. Um, and this is when the media started really picking up on the fact that Jared wasn't involved and they were going after him. Okay, 30th of April 2012. At this stage, Alison has been missing for 11 days and Daryl Joyce, good old Daryl Joyce, just wants to go for a nice kayak, you know? Mm-hmm. He's a professor at the University of Queensland, loves his kayaking. Do you know him? No, I don't. Oh. I read the book, Jess. No, no, I know. And that's, yeah, I just sound like the way you spoke about him just sounded like you knew him. My good friend, (laughs) Professor Daryl Joyce. Anyway, um, so he was in Colo Creek kayaking and he caught a glimpse of something under the bridge, noticing that it was similar to the clothing that had been on the mannequin. He was aware that Alison was missing. He wasn't able to stop because there was nowhere for him to Pull up the kayak, yeah. Park the kayak, pull up the kayak. Stop the kayak, put the brakes on the kayak. kayak. Um, He went home and called the police and the forensic team was called in and they found a body. She was still wearing joggers. Her jumper was tied around her head. Her hair was matted and muddy. Um, Dr. Nathan Milne and two other pathologists were there and conducting a pre-exam at the site. Um, She wasn't recognisable. They didn't know. They couldn't confirm if it was her, um, but from initial analysis, it seemed like the body had been there for about 11 days. There was no mobile phone. Um, Alison's family were at the command post when they'd heard that there was a body had been found and this is really gross, but um, Jared Benclay was at home and they lowered their flag to half-mast and there, then there was a statement released by Jared Benclay's lawyer. So from the autopsy, um, the neck and waist of jumper was put like was wrapped around her head. It could have been because she was so badly decomposed of the rain and she'd been in the elements that they weren't able to come up with a consistent cause of death. Mm. There were no injuries or other findings to account for her death. There um, were some injuries. There were some but injuries. Not ones that they could not definitive ones not that definitive they could know. Ones, yeah. Um at this point they did um through dental records confirm that was Elson. And also something um, before Alison had been formally recognized by her dental records, Jared Bed and Clay had put in a claim for Alison's $1 million life insurance. So she, after Jared found out that there was a body found, but before they knew that the body was Alison, I mean, on one hand, you're like, well, how many bodies could there reasonably be but still lying like, around the place waiting to be discovered? But on the other you hand, hold on to like every, every hope. hope. That it was just unfortunately some other woman that had died. Yeah, exactly. But before her name was literally on a piece of paper, he was like, well, better call in that life insurance because mm-hmm. he was like, they deserve to know. Yeah. Go fuck yourself. Go fuck yourself. Um, <clears throat> It looked like there was blunt force trauma, but they didn't know whether that had been from, you know, whether she had like fallen from, like if she had been dropped from the bridge or anything like that. So they mm. weren't able to know. Drowning was also to be considered. Um. And she was found directly under the bridge. Um, so, yeah, Alison was found alone on a muddy creek. Having been rained on. And I something that makes me weep um, was Jeff's um, 
Alison's father, Jeff, talking to a police officer because Alison was really scared of the dark. And he said, I can't believe she's out there in the dark alone. Mm-hmm. And she was there for 11 days. It's not fair. It's not fair. When she was found, this is gross, but when she was found, she was literally so badly decomposed that she couldn't visually be identified. So Jared left his <laughs> wife in the mud and the rain. 13 years. 13 years. Like, to not even care that little bit about her. Just to just divorce her. Just leave her. Like, don't. Why you take a mother away from her kids? It's fucked. It is fucked. Oh, He's an so evil man. Don't trust men named Jared. I know. Okay. Okay. Um, so this was also found out that Jared owed a lot of money to a lot of people. It was around $1 million that he'd owed from borrowing money from friends to save his fucking shit of a business. And the insurance money could save him basically. Um, it was also found through analysis that Jared had searched the right to silence. Pleading the fifth and um, self-incrimination. Which he said was because he'd researched The Good Wife. He'd watched The Good Wife and said, what does taking the fifth mean as if everybody who, maybe Jared didn't grow up watching Law and Order on TV one at his grandma's house, but everybody knows what taking the fifth means. Come on, Jared. Um, so, uh, so she was found on the 30th of April and after tests had been done on May, May 11th, she had, they had her funeral in Ipswich, which is where she was from. And where she went to school and um, the upward of about 600 people showing up to say goodbye to Alison. Um, her brother and sister did a eulogy and Jared was there with his daughters. And Jared was nearly late. Jared arrived three <laughs> minutes before the funeral that. started. Fucked. Jared, the police, the police at this point in time didn't know that Jared had done it, but they knew that Jared had done it. So yeah, the it police. formal. They hadn't arrested him. The police anything. had very cleverly set up a microphone around um Allison's casket in the hope that he would tearfully confess or apologize or something like that so uh the the church was supposed to be closed off to everybody except family in the immediate time before the funeral started with the hope that Jared would do this um somebody accidentally opened the doors and let everybody in anyway but it didn't matter because Jared literally turned up to his wife's funeral with three minutes to spare so he didn't even, I don't even think he even went by the coffin and said anything. Oh my God. I, I know. know that. So he, he barely made it to the funeral. <sighs> He's also at this point in time not letting Jeff and Priscilla Dickey see their grandchildren. <sighs> They're kind of holed up at the uh, Baden Clay residence, Nigel and Elaine's residence. Um, and he, he didn't even let Priscilla see the kids for 10 minutes. Priscilla said, I want to see them just for 10 minutes to give them a hug on the day that Allison's body was found. And Jared said, no. I can't envision a world where you're not the murderer of your wife and you do things like that. Oh, fuck. Like, Jared clearly thinks that he's like a clever guy and he's going to get away with murder. I want to point out is that this man was not fucking clever. He was not clever. He was not smart in any sense of the word. Every friend that you know who thinks they're really, really clever, but is not clever at all. Like, he just was so up his own ass that he didn't realise that human beings who love and care for people are on time to their funerals. Definitely. So where are we at? Um, we're at the funeral. So we've fin- uh, So the funeral has finished. Um, the police have gone to, luckily in Brisbane, we have an amazing herbariumist, herbologist. Botanist? Bot- a botanist. Herbologist. That's from, that's from, that's from Harry, Harry Potter. Potter. That made me feel a bit better. Okay. Um, so Dr. Gordon Geimer. The 
MVP of this this guy investigation. What did they say on sixty minutes? Like what this guy doesn't know about plants is not worth knowing. Yeah, that should be his Twitter bio. That yep. is remarkable. That is remarkable. So Dr. Gordon Geimer took this case on personally and said, "I will sort this shit out for you to the police." Right? Yeah. So his job was determ- to determine um, Allison's last movements from the leaf material in her hair. So he went to Colo Creek, he walked up and down, and he went to Allison's house up and down, and there were six species of leaves in her hair. So where Allison was found, there was only evidence of two. At the family home, all six species were matched on the back patio. It was all there. So Not Allison- only. Not only did he identify the plants that were there, but he also could figure out which ones like fell into her hair from the plant fresh and which were like leaf litter that was on the ground. That I don't even a know how. We should contact Dr. Gordon Geimer and get him on a podcast, all right? He can just talk about leaves, all right? I'd listen. I'd fucking Gordon listen. Gordon Geimer, on my notes here, I have written, enter Dr. Geimer, straight up badass. <laughs> So botanical badass um, Gordon Geimer. An important piece of information that from Allison's home to Colo Creek, where she was found, is about fourteen kilometers. Um, because of the isolation of the species of in her hair, she definitely was killed at the house, put into a vehicle, mm-hmm. and driven to Colo Creek. Specifically, kill. She died at the house and was dragged through the backyard. Yeah, into the into car, the carport, taken to Colo, taken to Colo Creek. And dumped there. Um, Dr. Geimer also wandered the streets around the western suburbs trying to see like what the frequency of of this plants, like being in other people's houses, being on the street. Maybe she did wander off on her morning walk and those plants just happened to fall in her hair. There was a one in 500 chance that those plant materials got in her hair any other way than in her own backyard. Dr. Geimer... If anything ever happens to me. I hope there's leaves in my hair so you can figure it out. (laughs) Okay. So now we're up to the 13th of June, two days after my birthday. Um, Jared Baden-Clay is taken into custody officially. He is named a suspect. Um, His daughters are taken by Allison's parents. Thank Thank God. Jesus. Um, Jared maintains his innocence and he's got the beard at this point. Mm-hmm. And they make him shave it, and the marks are still there. The marks are starting to scar. And shaving cuts, I learned, don't scar. Don't scar. Zane's shaking his head like he knows they don't scar. Anyway, so. Man with a beard here. Shaving he cuts don't scar. So, June 14th, bail application is set. Um, the prosecution are like, he's got, mo- like, he had motive. He is like, Millions of dollars, well, not millions, he's, you know, hundreds of thousands he's of dollars. He's a million dollars in, in debt. debt. He's having an affair, mm. multiple affairs, and one of the affairs is still ongoing. Yeah. And his wife is venting and grilling him every night, being like, why did you have an affair, you awful person? And his wife and his mistress were due to meet in person at the real estate conference the next day. Now that's a fucking motive. That is a motive. That's a fucking motive. That's so a motive. The judge is like, nah, he's a flight risk. Go fuck yourself. Back in jail. Back in jail. December 2012, the second application is set. The Crown's case is weakened because um, 
Look, Trace's, our great friends, the police made a couple of mistakes. A couple of mistakes, but that's okay. That's okay. You're allowed but to But also make there was some traces of um, Zoloft in her system, which Alison was taking for her depression. But was it strong enough for her to have taken, like, was there enough in her system for her to have taken her own life by taking antidepressants? No, there wasn't. No, there wasn't. But that's what the defence was saying. There also was, um, the police had through um, analysis of the phone, a FaceTime conversation had come up between Jared and Nigel. It was a bit of a fuck up because Nigel didn't actually end up having an Apple iPhone. There's a funny sassy moment. Well, not funny because this isn't funny, but um, there was a sassy moment from Elaine where the police showed up to seize any Apple products from the house and she hands them a fruit bowl and it's like, that's the only Apple products we have in our house. You sassy bitch. It's not the time. Not the time, it's but not also the time or the place. commitment. But fucking sass. Very sass. Um, and, but still this second application at bail is rejected. Okay. March 11th. To, like I don't want to talk about Jared being in jail because nobody gives a shit. Nobody okay? cares. He was in, in jail. He was fucking jail. Nobody cares. Um, March 11, 2013, 2016, 2013. The committal. 40 witness statements. 300 no, 40 witnesses, 330 witness statements. He stood to gain $1 million and a long-running ref- uh, affair, the defense, the defense team said, and the police and, oh, God, Jared made up this, like, sorry excuse that the police told him to stay away from the search because he and might come across. And all the police were like, no, we no, didn't say that. No, never fucking said that. We would never say that to anybody that wanted to go and look for their significant other. Mm-hmm. Um. Leslie Griffiths, who was one of the medical examiners, stated that the marks on his face were not shaving cuts. They were definitely from scratches. They were consistent with scratches. They, you, they can't say they're not from razors, but she said they were consistent with fingernail scratches and not consistent with a razor blade, which is legal speak for their scratches. My God. Um, so he, after basically Alison had gone missing, he had um, – had to go to a doctor to get his injuries looked at so that he could get a kind of an, an analysis of what they mm. looked like. So the first doctor's appointment didn't go Jared's way. The doctor was not convinced and she immediately saw that something was wrong. She called her insurance and they were like, fucking tell the police. Tell the police. The second doctor's appointment went more Jared's way and was kind of – following his story of them being shaving cuts and the caterpillar bite and whatever, whatever, whatever. Mm. Um, obviously, this is when neighbours came through and said they'd heard screams on the night of, you know, Alison's murder. And Dr. Flegg, one of Jared's neighbours who was a politician. Cabinet minister. Yeah. And also Jared had asked him really inappropriately for money. And Jared's family. $300,000. Jared's family asking him for money for Jared's bail mm-hmm. and for money for his defence. I was like, no, don't do that. Dr. Flegg was like, um, I am a literal politician. I can't fund the defence of a murderer. possible murderer. No, thank you. Um, yeah, so he'd been approached by Jared to give him $400,000 to buy – his business partners out and mm. Flegg was like, nah. Um, so Neil Robertson, one of the investigators on the case, said that um, Jared's iPhone was actually plugged in at 1 a.m. 1.48 a.m. 1.48. Plugged into the charger. Did you know that your iPhone records when you plug in your charger? I didn't. I didn't either. Man, they're really, 
They they be knowing what we're doing. Spies know. The spies if you're know. going to commit a murder, be be aware of when you plug in your phone after you do it because Jesus. it'll they'll just find don't out. plug your phone in. Just don't commit no, a murder. Just don't murder anybody. Okay, <laughs> sorry, I beg your pardon. Um. Okay. So Neil Robinson gave that evidence. Gordon Geimer, his amazing leaf evidence. Mm-hmm. All hail Gordon Geimer. Shout out to the Geimers. We should get a, a picture with. We should get a T-shirt with his face on it. Can merch, 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 merch. Gordon Geimer. Yes. Um, <laughs> I wonder how Doctor Geimer would feel about Marin Solovsky. I hope I'm saying your name right. Um, basically gave evidence that there was no evidence of any caterpillars that were capable of giving that sort of reaction. Mm. Mm. in the Brookfield area at all. Were they also the sasspot who said when the defence referred to it as a caterpillar bite, they said, I don't want to call it a bite because <laughs> caterpillars can't bite. <laughs> Sass queen. Now that sass I approve of. Mm-hmm. So Tony McHugh also gave evidence. She was basically the defence. No, she was basically the prosecution's main witness. And she confirmed in the court that um, Jared couldn't afford a divorce. Mm-hmm. I can't believe we hadn't mentioned that in Jared and Tony's many conversations, Jared had promised Tony that he would be oh, leaving his wife. The 1st of July. The 1st of July, so 2012. Sorry. That was really valuable information and a lot of you will probably stop listening. <laughs> We've been talking for two hours. Everybody no, stop we listening. Haven't. We have not. We haven't. Fuck. I'm so sorry. This is going to be a really long episode, but this is really important. We haven't okay? even gone to the trial. No. Okay, um, so they showed the calls to Tony McHugh and that Jared and Jared was ordered to stand trial. Um, the Baden Clay family was still standing by him. Like I don't, like, I don't. Know I know how he's I, your son or whatever, but come on. I mean, I said to my mother when I was talking about this, like this trial, I was like, if I f- have fucking done something that's shady and bad, please. Throw me under the bus! For oh, my mum's sake! Would. My mum. Oh, would your mum for sure. So She'd would. be like, "You did what? Sorry, Nothing. police time. Police time." Okay, all right, yeah. So throw us under the bus if we've done something wrong, because you know, because we probably deserve it if we've committed. Definitely, murder. you and I have. <laughs> also, I'm very guilty, so I would never. Ever... We went to Catholic school, so oh, like I can't eat a loaf of bread without so like a guilty. thinking of Jesus and b feeling guilty I about think... it. No, what? Oh, there's so much in my daily life that I feel guilty about. Anyway, Mm -hmm. okay. So now we're getting to the actual trial and we're talking John Byrne being the judge. We're talking John Byrne. We're talking (laughs) Michael Byrne for the defence. Byrne notice. (laughs) My God. And what's the name of the prosecutor? What's his name? Todd Fuller. Todd Fuller QC. Todd Fuller. We need to stop saying all these men's names in sexy tones. We need to stop being like Gordon Geimer. It's weird. But I love Gordon Geimer so much. I do, but he's 58, Jess. I don't care. Okay. So at this trial, 77 witnesses. We've got a jury made up of seven men and five women. And three alternates. And three alts. Wouldn't you just die to be on that? Wouldn't you just literally be so pissed if you were an alternate and you like literally sat through Have weeks you? and weeks of trial and then didn't get to decide? I'd be spewing. I'd be spewing. Have you ever been put up for jury duty? I have, but I was in uni and I couldn't do it. Because I got it twice within two years of my first years being out of school. Rude. And it was so weird. Like the first year I couldn't – no, the first the first year I could do it because I was just doing – I think I was just doing my internship. Mm. So, and it was on holidays. It was like the two weeks of holidays. 
So I was put on jury duty and I had no excuse. So I had to do it. And like, you have to like check the website if you're needed. But because that was when the City Sing trial was going on. So my case kept on getting pushed back. Pushed back, yeah. And they can only hold you for that sort of like amount of time. Mm. So I just never got to do it. And then the year after I was at uni, so I had a letter a from Paul being like, sorry, she can't because she's learning how to sing and dance. So I have always wanted to do jury duty, but my mum did jury duty and she had to go to counselling afterwards. It was <gasps> no! messed up. Because if you're in like a murder trial or like a was rape a trial, trial, I don't know what it was. She's not actually allowed to talk about it, but oh, it was very, very traumatic no. for her. Which I could, can you imagine oh, being in this trial? Oh, like, of course. The the weirdo law and order fan in, in, like inside of me is just like dying to do something like that. But the actual reality of having to sit in a room and – look at images which these people must have had to have fucking looked at of Alison would be soul destroying. Soul destroying. You'd have to like I would have to look at so many pictures of cats after that. There's not like, enough cat pictures in the world. There's not enough cat pictures in the world. There's not. Okay. Sorry. Sidetrack. Um so during the initial like um like the initial court hearing in the committal, um Alison's family and friends were um, wearing yellow because that was Alison's favorite color, and at the actual trial, they were told not to. Um, and the weirdo thing is that the Baden Clays took to wearing purple, and there's like some weird thing that yellow is on the opposite side of the color wheel to purple. But, yeah. So that, Olivia Walton, Jared's sister, and Elaine started to wear purple to the trial. I'm sorry. I don't care how innocent you think your son is. A woman also, is she dead. was your like daughter-in-law and sister-in-law. And like Alison named Olivia in her diary being like, I am thankful for my sister-in-law. Oh, she's I know. Great. That made me sick. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to give Alison that sort of voice. But like she, um, you know, she thanked her sister-in-law. She was grateful She was grateful her. for her. She'd picked her up from the hospital like two days before she went missing. Oh, fucking hell. And then she wears purple at the trial. So, you know, oh, don't trust yourself. sisters-in-law. Um, so people were traveling from all over to go and watch the case. Um, Tony McHugh was, oh God, they did have to see Alison's body. Yeah. They had, they had pictures of like how she was when she was found on all the screens of the court, all the screens that the juries get a screen at Jared Badenclay's feet. And then also like beamed into the other courtrooms, like the overflow Yeah, because they had they to using. over. They had there were so it. many people that they had to open another courtroom where the trial was being live streamed and then another courtroom on top of that for the media. So it is like if it wasn't for – it's one of the big three trials in like recent Brisbane history. Like you yeah. got the Singh case, you got – Hence Baden why Clay. this is such a long episode, but this is really important to talk about. Mm. Yeah. Oh, the City Singh case. Um. So Tony McHugh was the star witness and um, she – Tony McHugh was told by Jared that he thought that Alison had ran away because she couldn't handle the divorce, but that wasn't the truth at all. Um, they presented the, – the prosecution presented that Jared killed Alison and dragged her to the back patio, put her in the car, drove to Collar Creek, carrying her down the embankment and putting her in a riverbed, ho- riverbed hoping that she'd float away. Um, Jared in the, qu- the trial was um, – described as quiet and uninterested, even when photos of Alison's decomposing body were shown. Um, the 
the person that was giving the evidence on um, Alison's uh, – about the postmortem was that the blood in her body had settled on her right side. So basically she was just placed on her right side. So there was no sign of falling or drowning. <coughs> um, so, yes, Michael Byrne, who you brought up before, um, who was representing Jer- Jared Baden-Clay, um, was arguing in the defence that the re- about the razor cuts and the caterpillar um, bite and Alison's mental health and, um, you know, but, you know, the, there wasn't really evidence that Alison would ever be capable of taking her own life or that she was in the state of mind at that particular moment. There was, in fact, plenty of evidence to the contrary, which all of Alison's GPs and psychologists and counsellors over the year basically testified and said it's like, she yes, would not. Yes, she was anxious and depressed, but no, she was not someone that you would have immediately gone, we need to watch out for her or anything mm. like that. <coughs> Pardon me. Um, some of the really big evidence that was presented at the trial was Alison's diary at the sadness of her, the breakdown of her marriage and that she wasn't good enough. Um, the quote that was said often in the diary was, I don't want to be alone. I'm afraid of failing. I would give anything for, um, for Jared to love, for my love to love me and to make love to me. It hurts me when he won't give me a proper hug. <coughs> Jesus. Jeez. Um, so um, also in the diary, because of the 15-minute chats that Jared would have <coughs> with Alison where he had to answer questions about the affair, um, Alison made him draw a um, picture of Tony McHugh's apartment, which I thought was interesting. Um, so Jared takes the stand and that's when it's brought up about him contacting the life insurance. He said, my dad told me to, that I have an obligation to the insurers to let them know. Jesus Christ. Caring more about the obligation to your life insurance people than your, like, Like her wife. name wasn't even on a piece of paper. Didn't even know it was her. And the reason why, the reason why he did that was because he knew it was her because he put her there. Because he, obviously, he's Fucking not going to think, wow, I wonder whose body it is. Soul. He thinks, oh, a body found on a collar creek. Oh, right, I did that. Jesus That was me. Christ. Um... He said that Alison and him had been working hard on their relationship and also because Alison had been working at the business. Um, he completely retracted everything he ever said to Tony McHugh. He never had any intentions of leaving his wife. He didn't mm. actually love Tony McHugh. Mm. He thought they had no future. Yeah, he denied, you know, and he denied starting up the affair again. But no son. No, no son. ma'am, Pam. Sorry. No, ma'am, Pam. <laughs> Thank you, Luke Volker. Um, he said that he wanted to keep having sex with Tony McHugh and that he had no intention of leaving his wife. He also said that he was sleeping with Tony McHugh for the sake of the business. What sake of the business? He I'm was sorry, like, she's not a millionaire. He was like, she was a good salesperson and I didn't want to like create oh, drama. Keep, her happy by keep having sex with her. Exactly. Why don't you just like treat her like an employee and then maybe she'll work really hard? I don't know. Why don't you just be like a functioning human being and not do any of this? Um, do you have any inf- other information on that part of the trial? Or? The trial? Yeah. I think it was just amazing at all that the defence let – Jared testified. There was a bit of hullabaloo before, once everybody else had given evidence and we kind of, we did skim over some of it because a lot of it was in the committal hearing as well. Um, There was a bit of a recess and then uh, Michael Byrne 
and his team came to the judge and said, Jared is going to present evidence in the case. So why? 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 Oh, something I also wanted to bring up about the committal hearing mm. is that Jared wanted to ditch his um, legal team. Yes. He, he ditched his original legal team because he didn't get bail. Yeah, he ditched lawyers quite a few times. By the I'm time sorry. we get to Michael Byrne, we're at the third round Does of- Does anybody else have a red flag of like Ted Bundy being like, fuck everybody, I'm innocent. Yeah, but Ted, Ted Bundy represented himself, so- No, I know. At least Jared didn't get to that stage of crazy. I'm sure he wanted to, which oh, is which is obviously like- I'm a real like, estate agent and I know shit about everything. Mm. No. So, no, you don't, Jared. Um, yeah, so Michael Byrne, his defence attorney, uh, started off the questioning for Jared's um, testimony and basically, you know, he started off saying, how long have you been married? Um, Jared said they were coming up to their 14th anniversary. Uh, Michael Byrne revs up for the big question, says, Mr. Baden Clay, did you kill? And then Jared interrupts and says, sorry, it would have been coming up to our 15th wedding anniversary. Lol. So he interrupted his own lawyer asking him if he killed his wife. He's a robot man. He doesn't know how to be. You, you cannot. Can't, you can't script If you that saw shit. that in an episode of Law and Order, you'd be like, they're being very heavy handed this episode. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Um, oh. So Michael Byrne continues his questioning. He, he basically says like, did you kill Allison? Did you put her body under the creek? Did you do all these things? He says, no, 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 no. Then uh, Michael starts asking questions about their life and their relationship and stuff like that. Um, Jared goes on and on and on about random nothingness. Um, Jared also famously made a 90-minute speech at his wedding. That's right. 90 minutes. So he – Thanking his parents. Also – He's the type of guy that calls his parents mummy and daddy in public. Yeah, he was a grown. He would call them mummy and daddy at Rain and Horn Kenmark Kenmore offices. Ellen, can you describe Zane's face? Pure disgust. <laughs> Shock, disgust, and disbelief at a grown mummy ass man at work. Calling it's him mummy and daddy. It's barely okay for me to say mummy. Barely. It's, it's very barely. borderline. I judge you a lot Only harsher if-, if I didn't also call my mum mummy. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so yes, clearly he, uh, took that 90 minute wedding speech and just continued it throughout his entire life. So he's saying like, oh, how Michael Byrne is asking about the honeymoon. He tells a really random anecdote about them, like remembering where they were when princess Diana died. And everybody was like, you're in your murder trial. Don't give us a cute anecdote about where you were when amazing things happened. Um, he's also kind of giving Alison quite a few backhanded compliments in this Mm. testimony. Like he talked about when they were um, living and working in London and he had a very high paying job um, and Alison didn't. And he said that like it pays her peanuts, but it's really good experience for her. Remember that time when you moved back to Brisbane and you tried to sue Flight Centre and your fucking wife had to support you while being pregnant with your first child? Go fuck yourself. Remember when you got fired from your job at Flight Centre and you lived in, like, you worked out of a shed in your backyard trading stocks while your wife gave birth to your first child? Anyway. Anyway. That's by the by. Yeah, Um, by the by. So basically, yeah, Michael Byrne is kind of lowballing it and um, asking a lot about Jared and uh, Alison's depression. And Jared is kind of saying, oh, I did everything. Um, I looked after the kids all the time. I was in charge of the morning routine. Sometimes Alison couldn't even get out of bed. Um, basically I was doing ev- everything possible. 
The prosecution um, tried to enter into evidence one of Jared's blog posts um, <laughs> where he – it was enti- – uh, I can't remember what it was titled, but he talked about being Mr. Mum and spoke about like while his wife was on holidays for a week or something like that, the fact that he couldn't keep up with her and the fact that he couldn't get the you know kids organised every day and how amazing his wife was doing that every day etc etc they um ended up not being able to enter into evidence because it wasn't a part of their case beforehand but i can tell you guys now that it basically demonstrates that he was making up the fact that she was so depressed that she couldn't move or do anything um that's all that's the only sound i can make right now yeah exactly so he he's really he's really obviously because he has spent the past few years forming this case with the defense he's definitely playing up the defense the defense's case was basically that he wasn't committed to Tony McHugh. Allison was super depressed and was going to kill herself at any minute, basically, that he did everything, that he loved Allison. He kept on saying, like, well, I didn't leave my wife. I that didn't. That's not the same fucking thing. That's just being spineless. Anyway, so the prosecution then gets their hands on Jared. And, I mean, Todd, Todd Fuller QC. We can yes. say it like that. Um. The prosecution basically took the complete other tact, obviously. The prosecution's way of handling it was not necessarily that they were going to get Jared to confess, but basically that they were going to let his own incredibly awful personality speak for itself. So um, the way that uh, David Murray described it is that basically Jared was responding to Todd Fulacusi's questions like, he was living for it. He was being asked all these questions. He was firing back zingers. They were being sassy. Um, he, uh, Todd Fuller said, was it true that you said um, that you were going to leave your wife by July 1st, which just happened to be Allison's birthday? And Jared responds. Also the start of the new tax year. Also the start of the new tax year, tax man. Um, Jared responded, and it also just happens to be today because oh. it was July 1st. You're in your not murder the time, trial. Not the place. Not the time. Not the time nor the place for zingers. This so, is why I got Ellen to handle the trial bit of it because she's just real good, okay? Cute. Um, I'm good at zingers. Yes. Uh, zingers. Yeah, so basically the prosecution were letting Jared's just like oily terribleness speak for itself. You know, he was coming across to the people and to the jury as somebody who was way more concerned with firing back responses to the prosecution than trying to make himself seem innocent. Um, and I think, I think Todd Fuller absolutely destroys, destroyed him, absolutely destroyed him. And Jared, if the scratches and the blood in the car and the phone being plugged in at 1.48 a.m. and all the leaves in her hair didn't put the nail in his coffin, Jared's own personality when he was being examined did. Because he just came across as just the most disgusting, awful person. Because um, he is. Because he is. The most disgusting, awful person. Um, and that is how the trial ended with Jared basically tying the noose around his own neck. Yeah. He was found guilty. Thank Jesus. Spoilers. He was found guilty and is now in prison. But I believe we'll be getting into that next episode. Mm. Sassy ending. So next episode, Cute. we'll talk about the jury finding him guilty. We'll talk about the appeal. 
Because that's my least favourite word in this case. My least favourite word in any case when somebody murdered somebody is appeal. appeal. Gross. But he he tried it. He tried. He tried it. Spoilers, he failed. And then we're also... <laughs> but listen to the next episode, please. Next it's going to be really good. Really, it's going to be really edge good. Edge of your seat stuff. Really, really juicy. Um, and then we're also going to talk about Alison's legacy and how much this because trial... Because that's why we're here. This trial really did change the way that this we, country looks at domestic violence. Yeah, it was one of the big cases along with like Rosie Batty and everything like that, which kind of opened the door to domestic and family violence. And that's a really, really important topic that cannot not be discussed. So tune in next time. Yes. So you can follow us on Facebook at Murder in the Land of Oz. You can also follow us on Twitter at Murder in Oz. Uh Instagram coming soon. We will have photos attached of um, significant photos to the case. So thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next episode. Goodbye. <laughs> That's not going to be our tag off. Goodbye. You're not making that a thing. Stop now. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.